Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Today's show is going to be on the school improvement model that shows promise in the first I-3 evaluation. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals. So now we're going to move on to the topic of the day, which is school improvement model shows promise in the first I-3 evaluation. But before we begin, obviously we need to discuss what is the I-3 evaluation. And the link to this is also on our blog talk radio show description. In the the Investing in Innovation I-3 fund, provides grants to entities with a record of improving student achievement, local educational agencies or LEAs, and nonprofits in partnership with LEAs or consortium of schools in order to expand the implementation of and investment in evidence-based practices, strategies, and programs to significantly improve student achievement or student growth, as well as to help close achievement gaps, decrease dropout rates, and increase high school graduation rates as well as college enrollment and completion rates. The I-3 program supports three types of grants that are differentiated by level of prior evidence for practices, strategies, or programs, the scope of the proposed scale-up, and the level of funding to be provided. Scale-up and validation grants require prior evidence of effectiveness, while development grants support innovative strategies. Grantees receiving funds under this program are required to conduct an independent evaluation of their project and must agree, along with its independent evaluator, to cooperate with the evaluation technical assistance provided by the department and its contractor. The purpose of this technical assistance is to maximize the strength of the impact studies and the quality of their implementation data and performance feedback. The key questions that that the contract will address are, to what extent are the I-3 independent local evaluations well-designed and well-implemented, and what are the results for the Cut out for some reason. But as we were talking about before, 
The findings from a new study by the New York City-based research group, MDRC, the first of three installments in an ongoing 6.7 million evaluation of successful, again, an early literacy program, a popular school improvement model used in 1,000 schools representing 300,000 students nationwide. The program, which includes school-wide curriculum, tutors, bi-monthly student assessments, and teacher training, received $49.3 million from the federal I-3 program in 2009 to expand to more schools and increase training for teachers and staff. A year after 19K-5 and K-6 participating schools in four states were randomly selected to launch the program in the 2011-2012 school year. MCRC researchers found that kindergartners who in those schools significantly outperformed demographically similar peers in a control group of 18 schools in the standardized test of phonics. <coughs> the Woodcock um, Johnson word attack um, test as well. Success for all students got a boost roughly equal to around 12% of the average annual growth for a kindergartner. Moreover, the same benefits were found for poor and minority students. Painting a picture of teacher practice. In the classroom, teachers at success for all schools differed from those in the control groups schools in a number of ways. They were more likely, for example, to group and regroup students by ability for reading lessons, even across grades. Those benefits are in line with the learning gains found in previous studies of Success for All, which has been studied extensively since its founding in 1987. But the MDRC study goes into more depth in relating the implementation to the outcomes than any study that's come before. Said Robert E. Slavin, the chairman of the Success for All Foundation and the director for the Center for Research and Reform in Education at Johns Hopkins, Hopkins University in Baltimore. It's outstanding in giving a more detailed picture of what's actually happening in the schools, he says. Compared with teachers and schools that did not implement the program, researchers found that teachers in Success for All schools had more and more varied training in reading instruction. They later proved more likely to focus on comprehension, even in kindergarten, than teachers in control schools. They were also more likely to use cooperative learning strategies. Also, following the success for all design, teachers in those schools were more likely to group and regroup students across multiple grades based on their reading skills and provide more focused instruction. Some of the cooperative learning that students undertake, like turning to your neighbor and telling them something about the text, our common ways comprehension can get reinforced even with very young children, says Janet C. Quint, an, MR, an MDRC senior research associate and the study director for the evaluation project. One school story. <coughs> Excuse me. The 700 student Central Elementary School in Allentown, Pennsylvania, is one of the schools testing success for all as a turnaround model. Through I-3, the school, which has repeatedly failed to meet its federal adequate yearly progress goals, met all 25 targets for the first time in 2010 and 2011, and had more than 1,000 fewer school absences in that year. As part of the program, the school reported adding <coughs> a literacy coach for three days per week, providing about 30% more professional development for teachers. The evaluation report also details the challenge of implementing the whole school program, which requires strictly scripted and paced lessons and regular assessments 
Surveys of teachers during the first year of implementation found that many want to clear guidance on how to structure lessons. For example, I think the SFA is challenging challenging programs for teachers at the outset in many ways, says Ms. Clint. For example, it really is important to keep students engaged forward. But it's for every student to master the lesson the first time, though. Some teachers who felt really uncomfortable in moving forward when some of their students weren't getting it right away. Teachers and administrators also repeated long-held concerns about balancing the many moving parts of the SFAs, which is success for all comprehensive school reform model, with many schools reporting they did not have sufficient staff to provide tutors for all students who needed them or put in place the school committees needed to implement the program's whole school reform. Many of complaints about comprehensive school reform programs arose in previous federal efforts to expand such programs in the late 1990s. The complexity of the program partially explains why Success for All has not been keeping pace with its scale-up targets under I3 evaluation. The group initially proposed expanding its whole school program 2,100 schools in five years, 550 of which would receive startup support via the IP grant, and Central Elementary was one of these. Now, Mr. Slavin said Success for All will be lucky to recruit half as many new schools for expansion during the duration of the grant, and all, not half of them, will receive startup money. The economy has been so awful, he says. Schools have been struggling just to keep their staff, not to mention taking on many on any kind of reform program. We expect to have a real rush of schools interested in signing up, particularly with the I3 incentives, but unfortunately that hasn't happened. And so he <coughs> said that they're going to have to do some real marketing. More studies expected. So researchers will continue to study students in the first group of expansion schools as they progress through elementary school. Two additional studies will look more broadly at whole school changes, as well as longitudinal progress for second graders and older students. These will also include comprehension skills, which Ms. Clint said are more difficult to test in early grades. MDRC's report is the first of the evaluations from the initial cohort of four programs that won the largest grant from I3, which are based on prior evidence of effectiveness. <laughs> The Knowledge is Power Foundation, Ohio's University Reading Recovery Program, and Teach for America all receive scale-up grants for about $45 million to $50 million each. And all are on track to meet the rigorous evaluation standards set forth by the federal What Works Clearinghouse. However, final evaluations for the programs likely will not come until the end of the grants, or even a few years after, based on the average length of large-scale and experimental studies. For example, Steve Mancini, the spokesman of, spokesman of KIPP, said that the initial descriptive report by its evaluator, the Princeton NJ, uh, New Jersey-based Mathematica Policy Research, will be out later this year, but it will not focus on the academic progress data as a success for all reported. Rather, academic results will be evaluated in a final evaluation at the end of the grant period. One of the principles behind I3 was that the grants should be scaled to what we know about what works. 
says Ms. Quint, I think that at least the early uh, Success for All program impacts suggest that this approach makes sense and you want to scale up things that have been shown to work and continue to study them and ensure that they are still effective reforms. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. So just to sum up what that um, was about, because I know it was slightly dense um, about evaluations uh, under I3, but basically it was talking about how uh, I3 evaluations and the I3 program has helped to fund programs that have been proven to work to improve literacy among young children, which is a pro of these, which is a um, positive thing that's come about by I3 grants and evaluations. However, there are some cons uh, to this, um, some consequences, unfortunately. And so we're going to talk about that as well. And if we do run out of time, we will continue this show uh, next week for a part two. So some of the issues with this um, we're going to discuss now. So this, the link to this article is also on our site if you would like to read along by Jason Tomasini called Private Donor Commitments Falling Short in Some Cases. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was after the U.S. Department of Education awarded $650 million in investing in innovation grants and set off a mad dash for grantees to raise more than $100 million in matching private funds in five weeks. Some of the I-3 winners were, are still facing financial uncertainty stemming from initial fundraising struggles. A businessman who pledged $400,000 to an Oregon school district's art program did not make his most recent payment, potentially putting the program's future in jeopardy. Other grantees have also encountered problems with matching funds coming through, and some nonprofit grantees have been forced to contribute their own money to match the initial amount. For its part, the Education Department has lessened the matching fund requirements, but is less clear on possible outcomes for the grantees that have run into financial problems. Those developments have raised questions about the competition structure, including calls by some observers for the awards to be opened up to the for-profit sector. Part of the challenge for I3 is that there is so much cheerleading on the front end and that there was a lack of attention to how you execute and implement, says Frederick M. Hess, the Director of Education Policy Studies for Washington-based American Enterprise Institute and the author of an opinion blog for Education Week. <clears throat> we didn't spend a lot of time thinking about the what-ifs, he notes. In August 2010, the Education <laughs> Department awarded 49 five-year grants to school districts, nonprofit organizations, and universities ranging from $3 million to $50 million each. The grants were intended to help scale up education programs with proven outcomes or develop promising ones. The terms of comp of the competition, which was funded by the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, required the winners to raise 20% of their awards in matching funds from the private sector, such as philanthropies or individual donors, and to do so in 
The requirements set off a scramble, and many grantees didn't secure the 20% that the grants needed until the final days before the deadline. The Education Department had reached out <coughs> to the philanthropic community about I3 and an online registry created by a group of major foundations and managed by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation aimed to match grantees and funders. The Gates Foundation provides grant support for Education Week's coverage of the education industry and K-12 innovation. On different tracks, some grantees, such as the Teach for America and the Denver Public School System, use existing funders to cover substantial portions of the required match. Others have been able to raise the matching amount during the application process. Many winners, though, found that their programs didn't fall within the foundation's funding priorities or grant writing schedules. This is not how foundations are prone to work, says Robert Slavin, the executive director of Success for All. They want a specific project for themselves, not to help out with someone else's project. <laughs> Success for All, which offers whole school turnaround services, tried many options, including the I3 registry, but couldn't raise the full $10 million before the deadline. Because the I3 grant only stipulates the matching funds, the uh, stipulates that the matching funds must come from a private source, Successful All contributed $6.8 million of its own money for the $10 million match. Both districts awarded I3 grants weren't afforded the same opportunity. In Beaverton, Oregon, School district strained to raise $800,000 in matching funds for a $4 million development grant to fund the Arts for Learning, a program that infuses arts education into elementary school literacy curriculum in the 38,500 student district. Partnering with Young Audiences, a national New York City-based arts organization that manages arts for learning in schools, it too came up empty on the I3 registry. Peter Gerber says that I don't remember a situation like this, who's, a direct, who's the director for arts for learning and a veteran of the nonprofit sector. Other grants, he said, had all had longer arcs. About halfway through the fundraising process, John Wallace, a big Wallacek, a businessman from Vancouver, Washington, who ran the giving stream, a new and now defunct company that helps nonprofit organizations raise money, stepped forward with interest in donating money towards the grant. He pledged $400,000, half of the matching funds, and more than $280,000 greater than any donation in Beaverton, including those from Intel Foundation and the Mayor Memorial Trust. He would raise the money by selling advertisements on the back of grocery store receipts, he claimed. I actually anticipate over the five years it'll be close to $5 million, but we put $400,000 down because we know if we all got hit by a bus, we could do that, says Mr. Wallace, who told um, the Oregonian paper, newspaper in a profile published in December 2010. The deadline was fast approaching, and the I3 award was a public grant, Mr. Gerber said. We took it at face value that if a person would come forward like this, they would not make a commitment they didn't intend to keep. Mr. Wolosek did make his first payment of $25,000, but the grocery store advertising never came to fruition. He told the Oregonian newspaper, that future payments would come from his personal funds. He didn't make the next one of $50,000. Mr. Wolosek didn't respond to requests by Education Week for a comment on this. Beaverton is working with Mr. Wolosek on a new payment schedule to fulfill his commitment, said John Bridges, the Director's Administrator of Accountability. If he cannot make 
for the payments, Beaverton will have to raise more, Mr. Mr. Bridges said. Betting donors. Individual I3 grantees must perform their own due diligence on private funders. I don't think it's permissible or appropriate for the education department to be vetting each private donor, said Nadia Gabby, the associate associate uh, assistant deputy secretary for the department's office of innovation and improvement. Grantees are monitor, monitored extensively, though monthly phone calls with project managers and annual reports that includes the budget and the extensive proof of efficacy requirements to make sure that grants stay on target, Ms. Dabby said. But there's always a possibility that we can use more dire options at our disposal, she also said. There's an option that there's an option where we end the grant, and that's not in our interest or our intent. At the moment, we want them to be successful. Beaverton's situation may be worse than that of other I3 recipients, but interviews with several other grantees suggest that there are lingering effects from the initial mass matching funds process. And this is because we were running out of time. I'm going to leave it there with um, the, the consequences of the I3 evaluations, and we're going to pick it up again further discussing the issue with matching funds for these particular grants for I3 for I3 grants from the organization that it was awarded to. I'm going to discuss more of that next week. Uh, thank you again for joining me. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org for monthly announcements and other happenings. Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels.